Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just want to make sure you're aware of a few things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks at Hope Church LV, and also be sure to check out our website at hopechurchonline.com. There, you can find out more information about who we are and where we're going as a church. Once again, thank you so much for checking out this sermon at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. I don't know about you, but when I was in school growing up, the study of the English language was never one of my favorite subjects. If you are, I heard some amens over here. Some of you can identify. If you're an English teacher today, I apologize uh, for saying that. And, and you're probably not surprised by that. If you've listened to me speak very often, you know that uh, I don't do well often with the English language. It wasn't one of my favorites. I preferred math or science or PE or pretty much anything other than the study of the English language. I think it's somewhat ironic now today that I have the opportunity to travel and speak all over the world, putting together communication built on the English language. A lot of my English teachers would laugh at that today. But I want to, I'm telling you that because today I want to start what I want to say to you today with an English lesson, all right? Now, I know that just sucked the joy right out of the room for some of you this morning because you immediately are going back to diagramming sentences and participles and all that kind of stuff. But, but it's not going to be quite that complex. I want to talk to you today before I begin about what is an antonym. An antonym. How many of you remember the word antonym from the study of the English language, right? An antonym. It's an interesting word. It comes from actually a Greek word that was used in the same time period when the New Testament was written. It comes from Koine Classical Greek, uh, and it's a word that at the beginning of it was the word anti, which in Greek meant against or opposite, and then the word numar, name, which is a word that meant uh, the, the word name. And so it meant to be against a name, against something or someone. And over the centuries, as we've continued to use the word, it's evolved. And here's a definition of the word antonym from the dictionary. It's a word that means the, say this out loud, opposite of another word. That's an antonym. Antonyms are opposites. Say that out loud. Antonyms are opposites. You're getting it. Now, to really help me understand it and to grasp that you're getting antonyms, what I want to do is I want to have a moment of classroom participation time, all right? I'm going to ask everybody to participate. There'll be a grade given on this test, all right? So we're going to put words up here on the screen, and what I want you to do is tell me the antonym of the word that I'm going to list. Here's the first one. It's the word short. What's the antonym? Oh, you're doing so good. It's the word tall. Here's the second one. Up. You're passing with flying colors. I'm a way better English teacher than the ones I had growing up. Here's the third one. It's the word good. Bad. Very good. You're doing awesome. Number four, the word hot. Cold. Number five is fast. You guys are acing the test. Here's the last one. Nights. Sharks, right? Amen. It's the sharks. That's exactly what the antonym is. And just for the record, we beat them twice last week. Amen. Amen. 
Take your major penalty and go home. Amen. So that's antonyms. I wanted you to understand antonyms today. And you say, Pastor, why in the world are we talking about antonyms? Well, the reason is for the past several weekends, we've been talking about the, a series called Battle Lines. Understanding that we're in a battle, a spiritual battle that's very real. And when we began the series, I said there were three major arcs, to, or three major parts to the arc of this series, and I listed them for you, and I want to give them to you again today. We said, number one, Paul teaches us in Ephesians chapter 6, you need to know that you have an enemy. All of us need to understand we have an enemy. He's very real. And if you weren't here two weeks ago, I preached a sermon. It's the first time in 28 years of preaching ministry, I preached an entire sermon on the enemy, on the devil. And we understood what the Bible has to say about our enemy. We need to know we have an enemy. Number two, we need to know how our enemy (coughs) works. And last weekend, Pastor Travis unpacked for us some of the uh, um, details about the schemes, what Paul calls the schemes, the methods of our enemy. And last weekend, we talked about how the enemy learns our weaknesses by observation, right? Our enemy is not omniscient. He's not omnipresent. He doesn't know everything. So he learns our weaknesses by watching us. And then our enemy exploits our weaknesses through deception, through deceiving us. So we said you got to know you have an enemy. You got to know how your enemy works. And then number three, you need to know that you can experience victory. You do not have to live defeated in the battle. Amen? You can have victory. You say, okay, what does this have to do with antonyms? The key to experiencing victory is an antonym. The key to experiencing victory in this spiritual battle is an antonym. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, let me explain it. One important lesson that we've already learned about our enemy is that our enemy is a liar. Amen? He's a liar. He's a liar. My mentor, Clyde Cranford, a guy who discipled me, if you've been around Hope for any length of time, you've heard me from time to time quote or mention Clyde Cranford. God used him in my life in a significant way early on in my spiritual journey to lay some truth down in my life. Here's what my mentor taught me about our enemy. Listen to what he said. He said, Satan is our mortal enemy and will stop at nothing to destroy us. And don't miss this. Deception is his primary strategy in dealing with us. Here's what you need to know. The enemy's main weapon against you and I as Christians is deception. He is a liar. You say, you're not supposed to call anybody a liar. No, listen, that's what Jesus said. Let me show it to you. John chapter 8, verse 44. We've looked at this verse over the last two weekends. Jesus said, you are of your father, the devil. And you do, you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature. For he is a, say it out loud. He's a liar. That's Jesus. Jesus said the devil is a liar and the father of all 
lies. That word liar, it's a word that describes one whose life is characterized by that which deviates from or perverts the truth. Everything our enemy does is a distortion of the truth. Everything that comes out of his mouth is a lie. So here's what this means as it applies to the battle. I want to give you the bottom line. Here's the bottom line. I want you to see it. All temptation is rooted in the lie that something other than God and His will can meet the needs or satisfy the desires of my life. I so want you to get this. I want you to read it out loud with me. You ready? One, two, three. All temptation is rooted in the lie that something other than God and His will can meet the needs or satisfy the desires of my life. You got to know this about the enemy. Every temptation is rooted in a lie. Let me try to Make it real practical. I'm going to try today in some parts of this to be real practical and transparent, okay? Let's just take for a minute the sin of sexual temptation or, or the, the sin of sexual immorality, that, that temptation to be outside of God's boundaries as it pertains to sexual immorality. What is that temptation? Listen, it doesn't matter whether you're Married, if you're married, that would be a temptation to what the Bible would call adultery, sex outside of marriage. If you're single, it's temptation to sexual impurity and expression of sexuality outside of the confines and, and boundaries of marriage. You know what all sexual temptation is? It's the lie that something other than God's design is really what you need to be fulfilled. It's a lie. But, but you, it doesn't matter what the expression is. Listen, God is God created sex. God made it and God gave it to us to be something beautiful and pleasurable inside the marriage relationship between a husband and a wife. But here's what the enemy says. The enemy says, oh no, there's all kinds of opportunities for you to be sexually satisfied. The real joy, the real fun, the real pleasure is outside of God's mind. It's a lie that something other than God's design is really what's going to make you complete. Take it to another example. Greed. You know what greed is? Greed is believing the lie that something other than God's provision for you will satisfy you. The Bible promises that God will meet our needs. The Scripture says that God will pray. If we'll seek first His kingdom, He'll take care of everything else, right? That's what the Scripture says. If you believe that, say amen. The Bible says that my God will supply all your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. If you believe that's in the Bible, say amen. Listen, it's in the Bible whether you believe it or not. It's in there. God will meet our needs. 
But here's what the enemy says. Oh, look at your neighbor's car. If you just had that car, then you'd finally be satisfied. Oh, if, if you just had this house, then you would finally be fulfilled. Oh, if you could just get to this level of salary, if you could ever have this kind of money coming in, then you would be content and satisfied with life. And here's what happens. You get it, and what do you find out? Now that guy's got a better car than me, right? Somebody else has always got a bigger house or a nicer car or a bigger salary. Every time. You know why it doesn't satisfy? Because it's a lie. It's a lie that something other than God and His design can ultimately meet the needs of my life. Another quote from Clyde. Look what he said. All perversion of what is right and good is a lie. The real thing belongs to God. With Him, what you see is what you get. No deception. No shadow. Only the full sunlight of reality. Only God can satisfy our deepest longings because only His provisions are lasting and real. Hear this. The enemy's going to lie. But the lies of the enemy never deliver what they promise. What at first tastes sweet quickly becomes sour and bitter. He promises, oh, this is what you need. This will satisfy. Listen, for a moment it tastes good. But how quickly, how quickly does it become bitter? What the enemy promises will satisfy us soon sickens us. How many times have we bought into the lie? I'm telling you, I'm, I'm, I'm confessing today. How many times have we bought into the lie of the enemy and yielded to that temptation only within a matter of moments to be sick in our soul about the decision we just made? Five seconds earlier, my heart believed that was it. And on the other side, my soul is sickened. What the enemy promises will fill my cup. When I look down, is a cup with a hole in the bottom of it that just keeps running out. And now I got to go look for something else to fill it back up again. So back to the antonym. What is the opposite of a lie? It's truth. That is the key to the battle. Let me give it to you in a statement. Here's the key to victory. Exposing the lies of the enemy to the truth of God and by faith believing the truth. Listen, it's as simple as that. You want to have victory in the midst of the battle? 
You want to be an overcomer? You want to live above the temptations that are constantly tearing you down? Here's what you got to do, moment by moment. You got to go, you know what? I know the enemy says this is the deal, man, but here's what the Bible says. Here's what God said. That's a lie. And in that moment, by faith, I got to believe the truth. And that is where victory comes from. Here's what Paul's teaching us. We're about to read it. Paul is teaching us that our enemy is throwing flaming arrows at us. We're going to talk about that more next weekend. But he's throwing flaming arrows. And listen, not like one at a time. He's just unleashing arrows. And here's what they're all rooted in. Lies. Lies. That something other than God and God's will can satisfy me. But here's what they are. They're lies. And moment by moment, we got to take the shield of faith and we got to expose the lies of the enemy to the truth of God and by faith believe the truth. One more, one more Clyde quote. Last one this morning. Here's what, look at what Clyde said. Growth in the Christian life is a process whereby we learn to recognize the lies of Satan, expose them to the truth of God, and decide whom we will believe, Satan or God. In every moment of temptation, that's the question. Who are you going to trust? In that moment of temptation, who are you going to believe, the enemy or God? Tragically, listen to what he said, even when we know the truth, we may choose to believe the lie. How many times do we do that, right? Because of habits of action, emotion, or indulgence. Knowing the truth is only half the battle. We have to believe it and act on it. If that makes sense, say amen. All right, if you're with me so far, a lie and the truth. That's the key. That's the key. The enemy's lying. We got we to gotta know the truth, right? If, if you get that, say amen. All right, take your Bible, open it to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, we've been walking through this study, but what I've just shared with you is foundational because everything that we just talked about, everything that Clyde just said in that statement is exactly what Paul is teaching us about the armor of God. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14. Listen to what he says. Stand firm, therefore. Here's what that means. You don't have to give an inch. Stand firm. How? Having girded your loins with, say it out loud. How about that? Where does he start in describing the armor? He starts with the foundation. Everything else hangs on this principle. The belt held everything else together. The belt is truth. Paul says if we're going to stand firm, it starts with the truth. Let's read on. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. We're going to talk more about that next weekend. Verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. I can't wait to talk to you about that next weekend. Listen, I, I, God showed me some stuff about the sword of the Spirit I've never seen before in my life. You've got to come next weekend to find out. But I'm just telling you, it's worth coming for. It is so good. I want to preach it right now so bad, but we've got to get the other stuff in first. Sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. 
Verse 18, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that in proclaiming it, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Paul, in this passage of Scripture that's classically known, even in my Bible, the heading is the armor of God. If you've been saved and walking with Jesus for five minutes, somebody has talked to you about the armor of God. Somebody's given you a bookmark or a picture or something about the armor. There are books on it. There are all kinds of stuff on the armor of God. So what is the armor of God? Well, our pastors have given a lot of time over the last several weeks to answer that question. We've sought the Lord together. And I just really believe that God has given us some insight into this that, to be quite honest, I've never really heard before. It was an aha moment for me. I think one of the great misconceptions in the Christian faith is how we use the armor of God. And here's what I mean by that. A lot of people view the armor of God like some kind of a spiritual ritual. It's like exercising in the morning. You exercise in order to be healthy. What do you do spiritually? Well, you got to pray on the armor of God. It's this ritual that some people, and even a lot of the books that I've been reading and studying, when they get to the end, here's the application, every day you got to pray on the armor. you got to make sure you put it on every day. And then I started asking a bunch of Christians, how many of you do that every day? And nobody that I talked to did it every day. They all thought, well, we should do that every day, but we don't do it every day. It's not a ritual. Paul did not here give us a ritual any more than the Lord's Prayer is just a ritual to recite. This is not just a little ritual that we go through in the morning so that now we can say, well, I'm getting God on my good side today. I put my armor on. Some people view the armor of God like it's some kind of a a superstition. A superstition is defined like this, a way of behaving that is based on fear. There are a lot of people so afraid of the battle, putting on the armor is like, I'm going to cross my fingers. I'm putting on my armor today. Some people view it like a good luck charm. Oh, it's going to be a good day today. (laughs) I got my armor on. Like I got my rabbit's foot in my pocket. Today's going to be a good day. I got my armor on. Now listen, there's nothing wrong with every day praying through this. That's not a wrong thing to do. I think we've missed the heartbeat of it when that's all we do with it. So what is the armor of God? Well, for time's sake, let me give you a statement about what we believe the armor of God is. And this weekend and next weekend, we're going to give you three practical steps to live this out. So here's what the armor of God is. It's the moment-by-moment practice. That's key right there. This isn't a a once-a-day, once-a-week. It's a moment-by-moment practice of responding to the attacks of the enemy By embracing through faith the truth about who I am in Christ and applying that truth so that Christ can victoriously live through me. That is the armor of God. It's not a picture that hangs on the wall. It's not a lucky charm that I put in my pocket. It's not a religious ritual that I go through. It's a moment-by-moment practice of responding to the attacks. Listen, the attacks of the enemy are going to come all day long and throughout the day. I've got to embrace through faith the truth about who I am in Christ and then apply that truth so that Christ can live victoriously through me. So 
three parts to this, three steps to responding to the attacks of the enemy utilizing the armor of God. Here are the three steps. We're going to look at one of them this week, two of them next week. Step number one, we must know the truth. If you don't know the truth, and the moments of attack when the enemy is throwing his flaming arrows of lies, you got to know the truth to be able to expose the lie, right? If you don't know it's counterfeit, you're just going to take it like it's real. But when you know the truth, it exposes. So step one, we're going to talk about this today. you got to know the truth. Number two, we must believe the truth. Knowing the truth is not enough. A lot of Christians know the truth. But with our actions, here's what we're really saying. I don't really believe it's true. And I'm going to show you I don't believe it's true because I'm going to do the opposite of that. I'm going to do what the enemy says because I think that's really what's going to satisfy me. But third, not just know the truth, believe the truth. We must apply the truth to our life so that Christ can live victoriously through us. So today let's focus on this idea of we must know the truth. I think it's interesting that Paul begins all this explanation about the armor with that foundational piece, the truth. The word truth is a word that means divine truth or spiritual truth. The word for truth here is the word that speaks to all that is true about God and also all that is true about the abundant life that God has offered us to enjoy. That's the truth. It's all that's true about God, and it's all that's true about the life He's called us to. And you have to know this. Listen, truth is a person. Step one, we got to know the truth. But here's what you got to know. Truth is a person. What did Jesus say about Himself? Jesus said, I am the way. And I am what? The truth. I am the truth. Jesus is the truth. He's the truth what? He's the truth about God, and he's the truth about the abundant life that God has called us to enjoy. All that's true about that is found in the person of Jesus. That's why you don't have to turn there, but over one page in your Bible in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 21, Paul, in writing this letter, has already said to these people one chapter earlier, the truth is is in Jesus. So that was ringing in their ear only a few paragraphs earlier. Paul said the truth is in Jesus. And here's what Paul said. If you want to stand firm, here's where it starts. Know the truth. Know the truth. Know the truth. The enemy's going to lie to you. But listen to me. You've not been left to fight the battle alone. Through the person of the Holy Spirit, and we're going to talk more about this next weekend, but through the person of the Holy Spirit, the person of Christ now lives in you. The truth is in you. And what do we say the key is? Let me put it back up here. Exposing the lies of the enemy to the truth of God by faith, believe the truth. What's step one? You have to know the truth. You got to know the truth. And that's why what Paul does next, Paul says, here's the foundation. you got to know who you are in Christ so that now Christ can live himself in you. you got to know the truth about that. Then Paul, with some of the armor, he begins to list what I believe is not an exhaustive list of the armor of God. I think he was just giving us some examples here. He begins to list some things that are true about us in Christ 
that are those truths we can grab a hold of in moments of temptation. You say, how do you know that? Well, here's how I believe I know that. If you'll look carefully at Ephesians chapter 6, four pieces of the armor are written in this chapter as direct quotations from the Old Testament. Four pieces of the armor, the truth, the righteousness, the peace, and the salvation are all Paul quoting the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament. The prophet Isaiah, one of the unique callings of the prophet Isaiah is he gave messianic prophecies. He spoke much about the Messiah who would come into the world to save us from our sin. In the Old Testament book of Isaiah, every time these things are mentioned, the salvation, the peace, the truth, the righteousness, here's what they're describing. They're describing truths about the character of the coming Messiah. What Paul is doing is making the connection for us that because these things are true about Christ, they are now true about us because we are in Him. That's why when Paul writes this, the first three things, he doesn't say, put this on. He says, having Having the belt of truth, having the uh, breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet. Why is he saying it that way? Because this isn't stuff you got to put on every day. No, because of who you are in Christ, you already have this. And what he's saying is now, as the enemy comes, we got to take up the shield of faith. We got to believe what is already true about us in Christ and then begin to live that out in our daily life. So, if, 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 if you're with me, say amen. amen. All right, I'm going to try to make it real practical by giving you two examples. The two that he gives us. He says, okay, if we're going to win victory, we're going to walk in victory. Starts with knowing the truth. And here's the first piece of the truth he gives us. Righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness. What is righteousness? Here's a definition of Righteousness. All that conforms to the standards of God. That's righteousness. It's all that conforms to the standard. It's actually the righteousness that belongs to God himself. That's why the Bible says of God, God is righteous. But here's what Paul tells us. Because of Christ, we have Righteousness. The way that he words it here, having, having, uh, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, it describes something that we've already totally experienced. Here's what that means. Because of Jesus, at the moment of salvation, here's what happened. I was declared to be righteous before God. You don't understand how good that is, or you just shouted something? At the moment you came to know Jesus, you and I were given the righteousness of God. Let me show it to you in the Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Paul writes in another letter. Listen to what he said. He, God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf. Here's what happened on the cross. On the cross, this is so incredible. Every sin you and I would ever commit, past, present, or future, you say, even sins I hadn't committed yet? Yes. Remember, when he died on the cross, you hadn't committed any yet. 
If it didn't cover all the sins in the future, we're all in trouble, right? Because all our sins were in the future when he died. All the sin of the world, past, present, and future. Every sin I've ever committed, every sin I'm ever going to commit on the cross, Jesus put that sin to death, and he paid the penalty for that sin when he died on the cross. Meaning this, there is left no penalty for my sin. Because Jesus already paid it for me. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. So that we might become the what? Say it out loud. Righteousness of who? The righteousness. Here's what happened on the cross. He took all of my sin and he died and he rose again. God giving a testimony that it accepted his sacrifice for our sin so that now when I come to a place in my life where I turn from my sin and I put my faith in Jesus, here's what I now get. I get clothed in the very righteousness of God himself. Some people say, oh, you mean that, that, that means now God sees you just as if you've never sinned? No, that doesn't mean that at all. Because if God saw me just as if I'd never sinned, that'd be like Adam before the fall. And that righteousness wasn't sufficient. He didn't say he gives me man's best righteousness. No, he gave me his righteousness. I now stand before him today clothed not in my best righteousness. I stand before him clothed in his righteousness, meaning this. He sees me as righteous as himself, meaning this. After I've been in heaven for 10,000 years, I won't be any more righteous before God than I am right now because my righteousness is not rooted in my performance. My righteousness is rooted in my position, and I am in Christ. You say, okay, how does this help me stand? Oh, I'm about to show you. Here's what the enemy does. He lies, and he says, This will complete you. This will make you happy. This will fulfill you. And and, and you might as well go ahead. You're already so ungodly anyway. I mean, it's not like you've never done this before. You're so unrighteous. Vance, who do you think you are? You're just a sinner. What's one more time going to matter? You're so ungodly. You're so impure. You know you want this. You might as well go ahead. It's just who you are. It may be who I used to be. But listen, in Christ... I've now been made righteous. Here's what that means. That's not who I am anymore. And if I don't know the truth now about who I am, when the enemy comes and says, oh, this is just who you are, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to slide right back into that pattern. But if I know the truth, listen, that may be who I used to be, but it's not who I am anymore. Let me tell you who I am now. I am a righteous son of the king of kings. And I didn't earn that. I've been given that in Christ. And when I know the truth about who I am, by faith, I can grab a hold of that. And the Holy Spirit of God will use that to give me victory in the midst of the battle. 
But listen, if you don't know that truth about you, you'll never be able to grab a hold of it. And that's what Paul said. Paul said, don't give an inch. Stand firm. How? In the truth. What's the first one? You are righteous. That's not who you are anymore. And let me tell you, I'll prove to you that's not who you are anymore. When you grab it, what do you find out real quick? You didn't want it. It doesn't take five seconds on the other side of it to know I didn't want it. On this side of it, I thought I did. But when I grabbed it, what looked sweet was bitter. What I thought would satisfy me in a moment began to sicken me. What I desired, I now was disgusted by. You know why? Because that's not who I am anymore. And if you don't know that truth, you can't experience that victory. Give you a second one. Peace. He said, having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Peace. Sometimes I think in understanding the armor of God, we get so caught up in all the pieces, the breastplate and the belt and the feet, that we forget the real truth. He's talking about the real truth. It's not the breastplate and the belt and the, the shield. The real truth is peace and righteousness and truth. Peace. What is peace? Peace is a two-sided coin. Peace speaks to that which I have, but it also speaks to that which I no longer have. Peace speaks to that which is now present, but it also speaks to that which is absent. You see, to be at peace with God through the gospel means I now no longer have conflict with God. I now no longer am at odds with God. I am no longer against Him. I've been, that's been replaced through the gospel with now I have harmony. I have fellowship. I have unity. I have oneness with God. Where apart from Christ, we are the enemies of God. Now in Christ, we are the friends of God, and we have peace. Peace. It means that now nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is found in Christ Jesus. And listen, some of you have already bought into this lie today. You came to church today, and you almost didn't even come because you thought, man, after this week, God don't want to see me today. Man, after what I've done, after the thoughts I've had, after the things that I've said, God is not interested in me today. But listen, listen to what Paul said in Romans. Look at it, Romans chapter 8. He said, who can separate us from the love of God which is found in Christ Jesus? That word separate, it comes from a root Greek word that means space. Here's what he's literally asking. What can make space between me and God? Between me and his love for me? What is it? Well, what can do that? He says, look what it says. Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come. Here's what that means. Nothing in my past, nothing in my present, nothing in my future, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing. Here's what that means. You and I have all been created by God. Here's what that means. We can't even separate ourselves from the love of God which is found in Christ. Nothing will separate us from the love of God which is found in Christ Jesus. Now, here's what the enemy tries to do. The enemy tries to drive a wedge between you and God by saying things like, seriously, you're going to pick up a Bible and read a Bible today. After the thoughts you had yesterday, 
The enemy says, uh, God is not very happy with you right now. You don't need to approach him. Pray? Seriously, you're going to pray today? Who are you? Look at your track record. Look at the decisions. You, who are you to pray? Don't you know that God's got bigger stuff on his agenda than you? I mean, you fail, you fall, you stumble, you go back over and over and over again. God is done with you. Listen, it's a lie. It's a lie. Listen, here's what we now have. Here's the truth. Peace. Here's what that means. I don't have to perform today to earn God's love and affection. My standing before God today is not rooted in my performance. My standing before God is rooted in my position. But if I don't know that, here's what the enemy's going to do. He's going to drive me away from the presence of God. Because I think somehow today I didn't earn enough to be in the presence of God. You see how this flows? Paul says, here's how you stand firm. you got to know the truth. Because every lie, every lie of the enemy is the opposite of the truth. And you got to know the truth so you can believe the truth. I'll close with this. We'll look at the other things next weekend. But I'll close with this. Knowledge of the truth is born from fellowship with the one who is truth. Knowledge of the truth is born from fellowship with the one who is truth. It's exactly what Peter wrote to us in 2 Peter chapter 1. Let me show it to you. Peter said, seeing that his divine power has granted to us. Say that word out loud. Say it again. Peter says, God in his power has already given us. Say it one more time. Everything, everything what? Everything we need to live a godly life. Everything pertaining to everything we need to stand in victory. He's already given to us. How do we access it? Look at it. Through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. This little phrase, true knowledge, it's a, it's a compound word in the Greek language that speaks to knowledge gained by experience. It's relational knowledge. It's knowledge that is the overflow of fellowship. Here's what this means. The single greatest thing you can do today to stand firm in the battle is time alone with Jesus. Now think about that for a second. What is it in the life of a Christian that is the single most difficult thing to do with regularity? What is it? It's time alone with Jesus, right? I mean, every day. I've been walking with Jesus for 30 years. And I still every day have to fight the temptation to not be. There's so many things that want to creep in and steal my time. Why do you think that is? Here's why. The enemy knows the game. And if he can keep us from knowing the truth, 
He'll whip us with his lies. But when we know the truth, which is born out of the overflow of being with the one who is the truth, we've taken the first step to standing firm in the battle. Let's pray together today. Father, I pray that, Lord, your Holy Spirit would communicate these truths in a way that is applicable and convicting and transformational in our lives today. God, I pray for people that are here right now that are Christians and for people that are here that are not Christians, that in these closing moments you would speak to us First of all, as you sit here quietly before the Lord, just a moment, we're going to stand and sing a song of worship. It's how we close our time together, but it's more than just a time of worship. It's a time to respond to what we've heard from God today. If you're here this morning and you're not yet a Christian, you don't know what it means to be righteous before God. You don't know what it means to be at peace with God. Listen, the first step for you today is just coming to know Jesus, to know the one who is the truth. Even now, the enemy would try to convince you from coming to Jesus, but I'm telling you, it's the answer. It's the key. It's the starting point, to come to know Jesus. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, when we stand in just a moment and begin to sing this song of worship, we have pastors here all along the front. You can come to any one of them today, and all you need to say is, I need Jesus. And they'll sit down with you and open a Bible, and have somebody sit down with you and open a Bible and show you how you can come to know Jesus today. You can know what it means to be right with God, to be at peace with God, to have a relationship with God. If you want to know today that you have a relationship with God, and if you were to die today, you'd go to heaven. All you got to do is come, and we'll show you from the Bible how you can have that. Secondly, today... If you're here and you're already a Christian, you already know Jesus. Here's what I believe today. I believe there are some Christians here who are trapped in the lie of the enemy. You know it. God knows it. But you've bought into the lie. You believe that something other than God and His will for you can satisfy you and bring you contentment and joy and peace. First of all, know you're not alone. Don't let the enemy lie to you and beat you up. Say, hey, you're, just, you're, you're the worst. You're the only one. No, we all are in the battle. All of us. Say, what do I do if I'm... And some of you, maybe you're right on the brink of believing a big lie of the enemy. This morning, we're going to take these steps up here and open them up like an old-fashioned altar. You can turn your seat into an altar. And I want you to just cry out to God... And say, God, I know it's a lie. Even though my flesh wants to believe it's true, I know it's a lie. And right now, God, by faith, I grab a hold of the truth. Listen, don't let the enemy's lies wreck your life. And finally, if you're here and you want to pray with one of our pastors about something in your job, your health, your family, your relationship, whatever it may be, while we sing, our pastors are here. You can come to any one of them. We'd be honored to pray for you and pray with you. But the altar is open. Our pastors are here. Father, I pray in this moment that you'd move among us. 
Lord, draw people to yourself. God, I pray specifically for Christians all over this building that are on the brink of believing the lie. God, that today they know the truth about who they are in Christ and begin to experience victory over the lie. It's in the name of Jesus we pray.